Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it. It's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. everyone welcome back to the how to be great podcast i am rob mcnichol and i am no sole survivor this week there is a tag team partner to help me through which of us will be eliminated first clue i've got the power of the edit but we'll, we'll try and both survive until the end here he is my old pal showbiz paul benson hey doing, paul i'm very well mate how are you hello everybody um it feels like it's been a while since we've done this i know it's only two weeks but it feels I don't know. It was a long, long time since we did that that last poll. It has been a while, but we did actually record and then we put a podcast out a little bit later than we normally do, and then we had a bit of a busy week. Ah, yeah, we did. It actually has been a a wee bit of time. Plus, we also didn't talk on Sunday, you see, because I had another week off on the quiz. on Sunday, that you did, you had to survive another week without me on the on the quiz on Sunday night on the uh, on the Facebook Live page. So that's why it feels so long. But it's surely absence is going to make the heart blah 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 and all that kind of thing. You're going to love spending another seven or eight hours with me talking on a podcast. <laughs> One would think so. Have you watched our quiz from Sunday night yet? Do you know what? I honestly haven't, and I, I honestly haven't, and I, I would have. Been, ah. I, I intended to, but the reason the reason I was not, everybody, um, is because they're. In my real life, uh, I am the program editor for Bristol Rovers Football Club, and on certain weeks when there's a program to be done, it takes up a varying amount of my time, and I, the, the bulk of that is between Sunday and Wednesday. And I literally, about two hours before we started recording this podcast, signed it off for the week. Uh, so this coming Sunday, and the next couple of weeks actually, because I've not got such labour-intensive stuff to do, I am all yours. But on those particular weeks, uh, I'm a little bit busier. But I am looking forward to uh, watching it because you had a different. Uh, guest on this week. I was, wasn't replaced by the Twisted Genius Dean A.S. as uh, is the typical thing, but uh, Patrick Heathfield, who's one of our stronger quiz performers, joined you, I believe. He most certainly is. He's the strongest quiz performer, really, um, and gallantly volunteered to uh, to make his debut with the Hooked on Wrestling broadcast efforts and did a wonderful job. Absolutely oh, cracking job. So uh, he's definitely... I don't want to hear that. I want to hear. Yeah, no, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was he considerably a... better than you. Oh, see, oh, yeah. You want to? I want to. I want to hear. He did an adequate job. He was fine. Is what I need to be saying. I don't, <laughs> want to, I don't want him to bomb. He seems a nice lad, and I don't want him to struggle. But I don't want you to go. He was great. I want you to go. He was fine, but he wasn't. He wasn't you, Rob. Please come home. Is what I want you to be saying. In fact, I, okay. I don't let, like let, the part let's of me. Try again. When I do watch those shows back, I don't like the part of me that wants it to be shit. And it's like, I think it must be like, if you're an injured footballer, here we go, football reference number one, uh, already, or number two actually, already in the podcast, but it must be if you're an injured footballer, or, you're, or maybe just an out of touch, you know, out of form, or you know, you're, on the, you're on the subs bench footballer, if you're a goalkeeper, for example, do you, you must want the goalkeeper that's playing to be rubbish. You, know, you must want him to chuck a few goals in so you can get in the team. Maybe lose 5-4. So that they get rid, they still win, but they get rid of the keeper. Do you know what I mean? It's like you must want whoever's in your place to struggle a little bit. But uh, for the good of the brand, Paul, 
I am pleased it went well. I am very, very pleased that you're pleased. And uh, well, it is no, all about. I should tell watch. you why. I should tell you why because it is all about being a team player, and it is all. It's not about an individual. It's about being part of a team, and that is the focus for the podcast today. It is indeed. It is. It, we are looking today at the greatest teams in Survivor Series history. Every now and again... Which is a topic very close to my heart. Uh, yes, it is. And I was going to say, every now and again, depending on how well our listeners know us individually, we have some people that are uh, listeners to this podcast because they have come along with Hooked on Wrestling. Um, they've found Hooked on Wrestling by whichever means, whether it's the website, whether it's the viewing parties or whatever. And they're from all over the country, all over the world, indeed. Uh, and they are equally familiar with us. They might have been, you know, someone that you've uh, you've brought along from one of your other projects. But they also might be people that have been listening um, to podcasts, podcasts that I have done back from the one-sided ring days and so forth. So sometimes they're more familiar with one of us than the other. And I think every now and again they might be able to tell that's probably an idea Rob's come up with. That's probably an idea Paul's come up with. And if anybody knows the pair of us, you know that Paul adores the Survivor Series and. Um, I, I, I don't really it's not really my area I think uh, yes. you did a Survivor Series um, set of questions one time on the quiz on the Sunday and I got nothing and I think you did another Survivor Series sex, sex, um, section of quiz questions on the Friday morning quiz on the website and I think I got one out of five so my quizzy knowledge on Survivor Series is poor but I have done some research for today and I hope that I will be able to offer some input where I can. But I will admit, everybody, that this is this is more of a Benson episode than it is a McNichol episode. Well, that's putting the pressure on my shoulders, mate. But don't worry, this is going to be a fun episode. I think we can all look back at Survivor Series history and you know, you might you know, there is it's not in terms of match quality the greatest pay per view of all time. There's been some corkers over the years, but it is not known for that. My opinion, what Survivor Series is all about is these interesting teams and interesting dynamics that we just don't get anywhere else. Um, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to go back and celebrate. Tonight. We could have done Best Survivor Series pay-per-view. We could have done Best Survivor Series match, all of which are blah, 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 and done to death. But why not do the actual best teams? All right, let's, let's see what the favourite teams are over the years. And it is a really interesting one, and we'll be getting into the uh, the nuts and bolts of how we're going to decide that uh, very shortly. But what we need to do, first of all, uh, is wrap up from last time. Last time we came to you uh, on the How To Be Great podcast, we discussed the best comedic wrestlers. And what we meant by that was not a comedy wrestler per se, not someone that's only there for the ha-ha, but the best wrestlers with comedic timing those that have made you laugh they also might make you want to love them hate them be great wrestlers or whatever or they might be just silly slapstick figures but there was no necessary rule other than did they get a chortle out of us over the years what was their comedy timing like we had such a long list and we had such a trouble trying to narrow it down because obviously our comedic tastes are not exactly the same same goes for every listener we all find different comedy shows funny different comedians funny um, and it's no different with uh, comedic wrestlers. So we actually did an unprecedented seven on our list. I think all but yeah. two episodes before that, we had done a top five. I think twice we had relented and made a top six. But this was a top seven because we purely could not break it down. It has to be said, when we often come up with a top five, there are often at least one or two 
of those selections that fade away down the bottom. So it'll be interesting to see what the spread of votes was like for that top seven. As always, I don't have the votes in front of me. Paul does, and he'll run us through what the results were from last time. Indeed, and it's looking at the results. The, the majority of the public did not agree with us that it needs to be a top seven. So we got starting from the bottom. Um, the bottom three in no particular order with very few votes between them Edge and Christian Mick Foley and Drake Maverick okay very very poor showings um, just slightly ahead of them uh, but still less than 5% of the vote was Kurt Angle which surprised right. me that he was so low which leaves us a top three of Team Hell No in third place Chris Jericho in second place and then the overwhelming winner, unsurprisingly, to be fair, I, I, I suspect we probably both would have um, agreed on this one, it's William Regal. Yeah, I mean, I think that's who I would have gone Easy. for. I think it's a good decision. I think Jericho, not that Jericho isn't a very funny man, because he is, and we were, you know, we, we talked about how much we like him in in our, our last um, last podcast. But I think with Jericho, there's a little bit of recency bias, isn't there? It's a little bit like if, if you didn't... Uh, yes. You know, if you did a poll tomorrow about 100 greatest albums, you know, you'd have things like Thriller and Pet Sounds and you know, uh, you know, White on Blonde and Revolver and all of the classic albums. But you would probably have an album in there from I don't know from you know, Adele or The Killers or you know Ed Sheeran or someone like that. And that's not to say they're not great albums, but give it 10 years, you know, because the greatest song of all time 10 years ago would have been something, but you know, would have been Bohemian Rhapsody and then you know, something by John Lennon and then would have been, you know, a Robbie Williams song. You know, and it's always, there's always something a bit recent, isn't there, that, that, that finds its way into those lists. And I'm not for a second saying Jericho doesn't belong in that company. I absolutely think he does. But Team Hell No hasn't been a thing for a few years. You know, and Kurt Angle, we haven't seen funny sure. Kurt Angle for a little while. And, um, you know, even, even Commissioner Mick and the Edging Christian, you know, slapsticky stuff, it's not been around so much. Whereas Jericho is still, you know, on AEW television, he's still he's still doing serious stuff, still doing money drawing stuff. But it, literally the day after, you know, sorry, the day before we recorded that podcast, you know, they'd done the uh, the, the the skit with MJF. So, um, you know, I think Jericho is in people's minds because of that. But for those that didn't get many votes down the bottom, it's not necessarily a reflection that our public doesn't find them funny. It's purely because I think a lot of the votes went to went to Regal. I think it's it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, agreed. I think it's um, it was an overwhelming choice, the right choice, and uh, yeah, let's. Um, it's been funny after a few close ones in our first few months. We've had a, the last three or four have been blowouts. Yeah, they have actually. Maybe maybe that's, maybe that's down to us and our selections of the um, of the options. So I don't think famous last words, but I don't think this one is going to be so cut and dry. This was not one of those uh, topics that when you said it, I immediately had two or three in my mind I had to go and find examples here I had to go and look I went through every every Survivor Series match listing and I've made uh, some notes but this is very much your kind of question this, this was your idea um, I like it so I'm not I'm not I'm not fobbing it off onto Paul I do like the idea it's a good one to talk about just because it's not necessarily my wheelhouse doesn't mean it's not a good topic but since it was your you know it was you that brought this up Maybe you can lay the groundwork for what you would consider the uh, the criteria for selection here. 
Well, it's quite simple in terms of what I would consider um, a team that would be eligible. I would suggest, frankly, any team of any size that has competed in a in a Survivor Series match. Um, let's say, a, let's, say let's, match. let's that, call it an elimination match. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, any any team, whether whether it's three, five, four, ten, whoever, they're eligible. Um, now, what your criteria is will obviously you know be in your own mind. For me, I'll be looking at things like. Um, more than a main event caliber that's you know that's not so important to me i'll be looking more at chemistry you know how well the pieces fit together as a whole how fun that is to see them together you know uh, to me a great team of guys that fit together like a glove who've not really been a team or been associated on screen before you know the survivor series is littered with teams full of really strong individuals but with no no real sort of through thread or no sort of feeling of them actually being a team rather than five individuals. I think that's been more prevalent over the last few years since we've been doing all the brand warfare, things like that. Yeah. Um, but what that to me, that's, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, Hulk Hogan and, you know, whoever else or the Ultimate Warrior or John Cena and, you know, the main, you know, it doesn't have to be the top stars of the year or banding together. It has to be a team that feels interesting, exciting, that I want to watch. Um, and who've put on put on a show so I think you know the floor is open I've got over 20 teams that I've written down as a shortlist which is more than I would have expected actually um, so I think it's going to be a really fun chat I'll tell you what I did I went through every single match list and I wrote down what basically I did one of one of two things either uh, a team so a quartet a quintet whatever that I looked at and just went oh I like that there's just an instinct you have an instinct where you go oh I like that there was no filler there was a couple of teams where there was like four fantastic names and then one where you went oh they're on it and so I couldn't include them because to me you need to have yeah. you know all, all, fill, all killer um, I also uh, you know thought about how much they fit together as you said you know did they have a thread sometimes you look at it and go well they're, four, they're good but do they really fit together um, but I also tried to think about performance. I had a little bit in terms of like, okay, these might not necessarily be, you know, the four or five guys that stand out in your mind as being, you know, world beaters. But actually, if you think back to the actual match itself, they fit really nicely, and it was a really good match, and they they flowed. And when you watched it, it made sense, and it was entertaining and memorable. So that was essentially how I looked at it. Um, but we'll see as we go on. We'll kind of have a little uh, a chat about it but I, I I found it harder and I was much I was much more how shall I put it uh, I was much more critical in terms of in, in terms of doing it and, and literally if you had the tiniest imperfection you know I didn't write your team down I, I just carried on with it and um, and moved on so I've only got let me see how many have I got I've got about I've got about ten or a dozen written down really um, and I'm sure that they won't necessarily okay. overlap so we'll, we'll have a few uh, different ones. Um, one final thing to mention, because you said about them being a little bit of a, a different sort of group to come together. For example, there was a team, I think it's in the year 2000, let me see, I haven't written that one down, yes, I think it's the year 2000, thinking about it, where the Radicals were a, a team, you know, as in yep. Saturn, Guerrero, yep. Benoit. W would you include that? I have included that 100%. Because to, to me, um, to me, that feels slightly different because that's 
they are, but they might have an eight-man tag on Raw. You know, and in fact, they probably did, almost certainly did. They, to me, feel almost too much yes, like a team. You know, that feels more like the Radicals would be involved if you know, they were in that era. You were doing a um, a War Games. You know, that, the, the Radicals would be a version of a team like Evolution or like um, Undisputed Era. If you did a Survivor Series tag match and did Undisputed Era as a team, that to me doesn't feel like a Survivor Series team because a Survivor Series team almost by its nature needs to be thrown together a little bit. It needs to be that sort of disparate, oh, how are these guys going to get on in a tag match? So I, I have written down um, the Radicals, but more just to bring them up because to me... That's not what Survivor Series is about. Watching, f- you know, two groups of four that already dislike each other. Like, I'm, I don't think this would even be considered. But was there not a Survivor Series where it was the, it was like the DOA versus the Bariquas, or I think there was the um, the Truth Commission were involved yes, somewhere, and like the that. Nation of Domination and that kind of thing. To me, they're just group that could happen anyway. That could happen on a on a SummerSlam that you could have that kind of eight man tag. So to me, Survivor Series is slightly different. So in my mind, I wouldn't necessarily be going to a team like the uh, the Radicals well that's absolutely fine and that's a good as good a starting point as any um, I've got them written down purely because they are a team of four absolutely quality wrestlers and I kind of I, I take your point completely but it wasn't something I considered I think they're you know a team of four exceptional wrestlers who were in a Survivor Series environment for the first and only time Um and I think you know. For me, I think they were they were fresh enough at the time, and their alliance was short-lived enough that for me it would make that it, it's on my long list. Um, I'm not anywhere close to thinking it would be on my short list. A because like you know, like you say, it wasn't that fresh and exciting, and uh, sorry, it wasn't that sort of you know, um, unique. You know, like you say, interesting and disparate, unique. Yeah, but also. It was fairly in, immemorable what they did in the match itself. I, you know, I remember they, what they did, who did they take on off the top of my head? It was Billy Gunn, China, K Quick, and the Road Dog. Um, I couldn't even tell you who survived that match. No, I, mean, so I don't, to I me, don't know. It's not, I'm, I'm not going to be able to remember a lot of these. So, in, in terms of, I've gone mostly on reading four or five names and going, oh, that's really cool. Than I have, you know, the actual performance because I, because like I said, the Survivor Series is one of those. Brands, uh, you know, brands of, of pay-per-view that has never really floated my boat, has never really gone into the deep recesses of my brain. The Raw Rumble is the opposite. See, when we get to January, folks, and we start doing Rumble stuff, you know, I can. There are some Rumbles where I could virtually tell you one to thirty the order of entry, because um, I've always loved Raw Rumbles. But Survivor, I think the thing with Survivor Series, and I'm not going to dwell on this because we want to talk about the positives, and other people are tuning in into this because they like it and don't want to hear me slagging it off. But I think the issue I've always had with Survivor Series is there was almost nothing ever at stake. You know, every now and again there was a, you know, these particular four dislike this particular four, or this, you know, captain dislikes the other captain and these other people are backing them up, and that's sort of fine. But often it would just be these four guys are wrestling these four guys, and I'm like, okay, why does it, why am I bothered if who wins? You've not given me a reason to. To, to care I get that part of the thing was the, the coolness of seeing different people teaming up but there was never really anything on the line that really bothered me there was no grudges it was just some people having matches and this is particularly in the, in the early years and then in the, in the later years they've done a far far better job of building a team and building the intrigue except for the fact that 
I don't think there's anyone in the world that really has an alliance towards Raw or SmackDown, other than the people doing the writing. And it's no. like you get that every year. I mean, for a while, it was bragging rights, wasn't it? As opposed to the Survivor Series, but you know, every year you have this kind of, oh, it's Raw versus SmackDown. Who's going to win? It's like I don't care. And it's like, is there a thing in in, in America when they have the um, what do they call it? The the, the All Star Game is it that they do before the Super Bowl? Or it's the a- yeah. AFC versus the NFC, and is, is that what they're called? And uh, yeah. and I suppose if you have a team, if you support, well, what's, what's your team? Denver. Denver Broncos, and they're in the AFC. Right, okay, so, so you do, you know, I don't care personally about the but you're right, you do tend to support but, the team that your yeah, you might, your team is from. You might broadly support the Denver boy. Well, you do support the Denver Broncos, and you might broadly cheer for the AFC in that game. But like, if your favourite wrestler is you know Drew McIntyre are you going to support Raw in that match just because of Drew or if one of the wrestlers in the Raw v Smackdown match is your favourite are you going to support just them but they seem to make it they don't make it a heel versus babyface thing it's all mixed up and it's like I just find that you know another turn off so to to me the two themes of of Survivor Series one from the very early days and one from the completely modern days have always been a, a bit of a turn off to me um, so I think that's why I don't remember so well. But that's not really the point of what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the, the fun grouping the, of the people. I will say, though, I agree with you on the modern day. I, I can't stand the whole brand warfare thing for exactly the reasons you've outlined. There's no real consequence. I hate the fact that these wrestlers are made to look like brand loyalty supersedes any actual feud they've got. It makes them look weak, subservient, totally undermines. But I, if I, I, there's a column in me somewhere to say that the single biggest issue that WWE has in terms of positioning stars is brand loyalty like the fact that every year they have their balls cut off for the sake of this Raw versus Smackdown shit fest is just it just absolutely ruins any semblance of credibility they have in my opinion what I would say though is early early on you know for the first uh, 15 years or so I would say your your point is very surface level. I think you look at it, and when you say when you make the the point that you have, I think it's it's an easy assumption to make. But when you actually delve into it, I think you're dead wrong. I think there's so many matches that were either you really got you know, two one of two things happened in the Survivor Series matches, and often in the same match, you'd sometimes find them be like caps to fuse that have already happened. So the one that springs to my mind is uh, 1989. Um, where it was Hogan against Savage and the feud had already been and gone but it was kind of like a final sort of hurrah for the feud it was like allowing you know just just for them to just get together in one more one more environment bring some friends together and, and do something a bit different um, even though there was definite sort of um, dislike still you know you really believed that they disliked each other even though it wasn't a blood feud like it might have been because the tensions for that had dissipated but the other thing it often did and it's really underrated this Survivor Series was often Survivor Series matches in particular oftentimes were catalysts for feuds and catalysts for alliances that's true Survivor Series is actually Survivor Series is actually way more historically important than I would have thought when I started looking at them in the 90s for the How Mania podcast, I forgot how many how many issues um, were either resolved, extended, or beginning in these Survivor Series matches, and I think they were they were an absolutely brilliant tool in the eras of four pay-per-views to do that. I actually um, think that that starts a little bit 
later. So I think the first few Survivor Series are really just let's get everyone on the card and have a match. But a few years in, you start to get more examples of what you're saying. I think with you know a great example, I think is you know is the Bretton Owen thing, isn't it? You know that's the one where you say right. you know there was that wasn't that was a, a sort of a breakup, but not quite. And you know and you know and it's. You know, you then go to the you know the rumble, don't you, for the for the tag match for the for the true turn. But yeah, it's it's certainly a point along the graph, and Shawn Michaels and Diesel as well, and there's, there are plenty. But I, I think exactly. that really starts a few years in. I think the first few couple of years are a bit, a bit lacking in that. I think moment. it's more subtle. It's more subtle earlier on. Um, you don't get maybe the necessarily the storylines, but what you'll get is guys that have clashed. Survivor Series for the first time it's almost like rivalries kind of cross over like you might go into the into the pay-per-view feuding with Ravishing Rick Rude and his team happens to have Mr. Perfect on as well and then coming out of the show your new feud is Mr. Perfect it's kind of where they, people swap uh, feuds and it's very easy to do that because they're all together in a match and there's a real natural organic reason for it to happen I think so also, I think you're right storyline wise it was later I think we also ought to, ought to factor something else in when we're talking broad, in broader strokes about Survivor Series is that in when did it start 88 is that the first one 87 87 so 80s, from 87 you know probably to really the mid 90s and even a little bit beyond that the WWF existed as a live event company that had a television show that was intended to drive you to the live events and to occasional pay-per-views. Whereas the longer the 90s went on, the more it became a pay-per-view company that had live events. And now it's just an all-round, you know, massive monolith of a company that just wants brand awareness because they'll make just as much money selling you John Cena t-shirts and pencil cases and mouse mats and network subscriptions and whatever else it is they just need to keep their brand alive so actually the live event thing is, is a bit different what I'm saying is is that there was a reason why you know matches like a great example is, is Hogan and Earthquake you know that, that was never a pay-per-view match to my knowledge and it's you know it's a really really well known feud from the late 1980s but I don't believe it was ever blown off on television and if it was it wasn't on pay-per-view it might have been on Saturday Night's Main Event or something but Sorry, Hogan against Earth, Hogan against Earthquake. Yeah. SummerSlam '90. Is it one on one? Yeah. Okay. What well, Hogan wins one on one? I must be thinking. I'm thinking of something else. Then. There's a, there's a definite. There's definitely. There's various others. There's, there's various. There's others. something. There's something along those lines that they never blew it off on pay per view, or even if they did on that one, it was you know it took a while to get there because the idea is a feud would start and they would have the one on one match on the live event around the country. And there was no point doing it on pay-per-view at that point because if you did, it, as soon as you did it on pay-per-view, people stopped wanting to see it in their in their live, you know, one-on-one in their local town. Yeah. The Survivor Series is a perfect way, as if you've got a feud going, is that you can have those two wrestlers. Let's say it's Yokozuna and Lex Luger, you know, rather than having another one-on-one match between them or having the, the first one-on-one match between whoever it might be, you can put them in the Survivor Series environment and you can have. I mean, it's a very frequent thing wasn't it to have a, a a champion lose a tag match or get pinned in a tag match and that was yeah. how you could you could bring a, a, a you know a, a contender out of it and I think Survivor Series is a really good way of bridging because don't forget in, you're going from you could go from SummerSlam in August to Wrestlemania in April so that's what the best part of eight months 
and not necessarily have a, a one-on-one pay-per-view match because you've got the Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble in which you can have one wrestler yeah, pin true. the other in a Survivor Series match and then the other wrestler can eliminate the other one in the Royal Rumble and then you can finally get to, you know, to WrestleMania for their one-on-one but you could make that feud go for the best part of a year by not really having too many excuses because Raw didn't need a one-on-one headline match every time Saturday night's main event might be quarterly and so you didn't really have this call for these huge matches I'm still trying to think of I obviously don't mean Hogan and Earthquake I must mean something else but there's there's definitely a couple of sort of big major feuds that you consider being a big well, deal there was there was a few Earthquake Warrior or Earthquake Ultimate sorry um, Andre the Giant Ultimate Warrior um, yeah. was one such feud I oh, believe um, um, Savage, Savage and Shake the Snake yeah that was the other one I was going to say that kind of that kind of kind of got there halfway with those guys they had a match at this Tuesday in Texas um, and they also had a match at uh, the Saturday night's main event in early 1992 and that was kind of it but they never it never kind of really ended it never had that dramatic climax but for the, um, for the level and it of, never was on a major paper for the level of animosity between them no, know, of Savage no, eliminating himself from a you know, from a rumble, or you know, for there being run-ins at the end of the match made in heaven, and all that kind of stuff. But there was, you know, there was never that, you know, that you expect that to be a WrestleMania match, wouldn't you? It may well have been. I think, uh, I believe that if circumstances had been different, it would have been a WrestleMania match, a WrestleMania eight. There is. Um, but but I, my, our point a is that changed. Our point is that Survivor Series can certainly be used as that sort of. Uh, that sort of catalyst. Okay, mate, oh, give right. us a, give us a team. Let's start this up. Let's start this thing rolling. Well, where do you want to? Let's. We don't want to do this chronologically, do we? That's no, not necessarily. So let's let's start somewhere in the middle. I tell you, you've you've, met, you've mentioned this team already. So let's let's mention. Let's go to 1994. Let's go to a team that had a name that back then I didn't really understand. Um, I knew it was a name that resonated in America, um, but I um, I still don't properly understand it now. But I've got a better idea. I'm going to go for the Teamsters in 1994. Can you remember who the Teamsters were? Well, it's going to be Diesel because I tell you what, a team a team what? a Teamster is essentially it's a it's a unionized uh, unionized work uh, builders and things like that. It's, it's a manual labourer thing. Yes, it's unionized. It is. It's something to do with that. That's what a Teamster is. Um, I don't know that for sure, but it's that sort of thing. Um, it would be it would be Diesel, Sean, the model in IRS. No, mate. It was a five-man team actually. They're five-man team in '94. It was Diesel, Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart, Jim the Animal Nightheart, and Jeff Jarrett. Okay, am I mixing my years up? You might well be. I think you might be looking at a bit in 1993. In 93, Diesel team with Rick Martel, IRS, and Adam Bob. Okay, I got three out of four from that one. Okay. <laughs> you did. Um, I've got their opponents down as a possible ne- uh, nominee, actually. But yeah, it's um, yeah Diesel, HBK, Owen Hart, Jim Neidhart, Jeff Jarrett. For me, what a team of heels that is, especially in the mid-90s. You know, one only needs to look at the names uh, for late 94. Diesel, who days later would win his first WWF championship. Owen Hart, who had his career best year. Um, Shawn Michaels, who was really just coming into his own as the absolute superstar of the company. Jimmy Amel Neidhart, 
okay, maybe maybe a step below, but certainly you know a very credible force next to Owen as his partner in crime at the time. Uh, and then Jeff Jarrett, who was also a really strong mid-card, intercontinental title-level credible heel. Um, just this, this oozes heel. It oozes mid-90s heel. It fits really well together. I, I, I love this team. Yeah, I mean... What say you? It actually isn't one I thought of. And actually, do you know what? Funnily enough, there's a four of... You know, I think Anvil had gone by then. Um, but four of those five... Uh, are involved in some way in the uh, WWF title match at the Rumble in 1995 because um, Owen and, and Owen, Sean and Je- Jeff all get involved in interfering in Brett versus Diesel. So it's um, they that, they did all yeah. go on to have some interaction yeah. with one another. That is just before Sean wins. The, actually, that is a what that is a brilliant springboard team, isn't it? Or at least with three of them because Owen's Owen's career really peaked in '94. That's the end of Owen's peak. I mean, he would go on to have another, you know, several Correct. several great years. But as we've talked about before, 1994 is the year of Owen Owen Hart. It's the the breakup with Brett. It's the the WrestleMania match. It's the King of the Ring, and then it's the SummerSlam main event or the you know, semi main event. Um, yes. So Owen was you know deeply involved in all of the pay per views um, in 1994. This actually might be the one he was least involved with, but. Um, he's still in a, an, an interesting team. Anvil was kind of his sidekick, like you say, not the most exciting of the five, but fits. But yeah, by by the following pay per view, you know, Diesel is going to be the champion. Sean is going to win the Rumble, and and Double J is going to win the IC title. So the three of them are about to have the biggest push of their lives, literally in the next three months um, after that pay per view. Yeah. And as you said before, there's an angle in there. There's an intrigue. There's a reason for being interested in it. Um, that's a very, very strong shout. A very strong shout that I hadn't considered. But this is an, a great point for going through these teams and not necessarily saying four megastars, but a team that fits. This is very, this like a, again, this is like a Galacticos versus you know good team, um, good football team discussion, isn't it? About how you fit as a, as a group. So very strong shout. Who did they? Who did they face? I don't remember who they faced. They they faced a really interesting team actually. They faced Razor Ramon. Uh, it was the bad guys the team was called Razor Ramon the British Bulldog uh, the 123 Kid uh, and then the Head Shrinkers but it was uh, Fatu and Sione, Sione, Sione aka, Barbarian, the, yeah. AKA the Barbarian yeah, yeah rather than Samu um, so it was, a, it was a good team definitely a good team and I would suggest that if it was if it was Samu on that team rather than Sione I would have maybe thought about having him on this list but um, unfortunately, it was right that the story for the head drinkers at that time was can they wrestle in shoes? Uh, can they wrestle in boots? So they were very much like Owen, a little bit past their earlier in 1994 peak. So I um, I wouldn't count those guys. But a damn good match. And obviously, the story of the match is Diesel's face turn and dissolution of his um, alliance with Shawn Michaels. So these guys are, these guys, I, I mentioned these early because I feel they're our barometer, mate. They are our traditional barometer. Above or below, are you going to get on the five? I think these are. This is a good team for that spot. You must be this tall to enter. Yeah, it's. I think it's a very, very strong, very strong shout. I'm, I am behind that one all the way. Excellent. Right. Okay. I'll carry on leading. But would you like me to go forward in time or backward in time? No, I, I will let you. you can... I, I will let you go as as you see fit. It's uh, very much. You are, um, uh, Paul. You're the one that's driving the train. <laughs> Crazier now. 
scarier now even all right then okay fine if that's the way we're going to do it let's go let's go all the way forward to 2016 okay um okay, now I've we talked not not that many minutes ago about how the Raw and Smackdown hotchpotch of faces and heels and brand loyalty is, is dreadful and, and just dilutes the whole concept and dilutes all the characters but this team is an exception I'd be surprised if it's not the same team as, as I've got mate we've got Chris Jericho mm-hmm. Kevin Owens Braun Strowman Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins yeah, I've got that as well. I've I've highlighted the whole match, so I do know who they're against. They were against AJ Styles, Bray Wyatt, Dean Ambrose, Randy Orton, and Shane McMahon. And so, you know, obviously, when we were talking about the uh, the nature of these matches, you do need to have a little look at who they're against as well, because there's some obviously logical feuds. There's some intermingling um, of people that have been associated together before. Obviously, Ambrose on the opposite side to his two uh, former Shield brethren. You've got Strowman, Strowman across from. Bray Wyatt, you've got um, you know Shane and would that would that have been when Shane and Owens were having a thing? That might have been a bit before that. I'm not sure, but obviously you've got Jericho and Owens on the same side associated. Then there's there's lots of little intermingling things between the teams. But yes, I do agree that that's one of the. I don't remember the exact formula of who's a babyface and who's a heel in there, but I will say um, it's. Sorry, go on. I would say it's probably. Reigns and Rollins as baby faces, Jericho and Owens doing their best friends heel run, and Strowman has never really been all that defined. Strowman is a little bit like Brock Lesnar. So Strowman sort of does what Strowman does, and if they book him against the face, he's a heel. If they book him against the heel, he's a baby face. You don't really—he's not a massively defined character, which is to his strength on this occasion. So I would say that's a good lineup because if I'm right about it. Reigns and Rollins are the baby, are baby faces. Is that right? Am I right that they were aligned at that point? You're, ab- you're yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, you've got, so, I think you've, you've nailed all of those, so, especially Strowman. So they're baby faces. So that's fine. You've then got Jericho and Owens, who the crowd can easily cheer because they respect their work. But if part of the angle, which am I? Oh, I'm so bad at these. But am I right? In, is there a bit of a walkout here? Does Jericho do a bit of a walkout? Is that that match or? Um, I, I, I honestly can't remember. Yeah, I can't if remember. I'm, if I I'm completely, remember. completely honest. But you, but you could. The point is more the actual lineup of that team, isn't it? And you are interested to see how Reigns and Strowman get along, and how the, the Shield guys get along, and then obviously the Jericho. We all saw a million miles away that the Jericho Owens feud was going to end the way it did, but it was still glorious. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a really good. I actually think it's a pretty good raw lineup. It was the one of all of the. Um, sorry, I think it's, I, I'm keep saying that the wrong way around. That is the raw lineup. This pretty good SmackDown lineup. The uh, yeah. the, the Styles, Wyatt, Ambrose, Orton, Shane. That's a pretty good lineup as well. And um, that was the one match I pulled out and pulled out both teams on my little sheet in front of me because I did feel that a lot of the time there's just a complete mis- mismatch of groups. It's very disparate. It doesn't really work. But those ones do feel like the only one in there that you would say is not necessarily a top level wrestler is, is Shane but then he's a McMahon and he fits that bracket because of various different reasons so absolutely every single one of those people is a bona fide main eventer and that doesn't happen very often yeah I agree yeah it was a, it was a, it was a strong match um, if I remember rightly and, and two strong lines but I do think Team Raw gets the edge 
Well, not just the age. I think it, I, I just think it, a lot a lot of this is going to be gut feeling. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to disagree with our choices, which is great. And I just think Team Raw in this case was significantly passes the smell test, you know, in a way that SmackDown just just doesn't really. Okay, well, I've got one that I know. People, okay. If, we, if we're going to say people are going to disagree with us, right? I have a, a on, I have a strange one. I have one that I don't necessarily what? agree with, but I think you're going right. to I think you're going to want to push for it. And if you do, I'm not really going to massively step in your way because I think a lot of people um, would uh, would vote for it and would want to see it in there. Would expect to see it there. What's What's the year? What's the year? The year is 1990. Okay, I think, I've got uh, that's, 1990 is the only one I've got three teams down for. Yeah, well, I've I've only I've only written down one that stood out, and it's this one. Um, I think there is a certain amount of, I won't say brainwashing, but sometimes the quote unquote the internet comes up with an opinion, and I see people parrot that opinion and say yes. I really want to see Cody Rhodes versus Goldust at WrestleMania. And I would go, why? Why? There was no real good reason to want that. Just because lots of other people have said it, you're joining in. And people wouldn't necessarily... The Undertaker-Sting thing was a little bit similar as well, but it kept going on year on year on year. And it's yeah. like, why do you want to see two old men fight each other in the middle of a ring 20, you know, 15 years past when their characters were relevant to one another that's not a knock on Undertaker or Sting by the way but you wanted to see Undertaker Sting in 2000 <laughs> not in 2016 yeah. where people were still banging on about it and I think people just they don't really know why they have an opinion we talked about this when we were talking about some great Mr McMahon moments do you remember when we were talking about some of those moments about um, you know, whether or not certain things that we've seen so many times like the beer bath and like the bang 316 or whatever do you think that's one of the best moments or do you just think that because WWE bring that out every time do you know what I mean it's like whenever there's a greatest raw moment you always see these things and I think when it comes to Survivor Series teams people always go 1990 the Warriors and they say brilliant <laughs> the ultimate warrior the road warriors and the modern day warrior Texas Tornado and I say to you that is a fluke the road warriors were never what? they were never called the road warriors in the WWF until they came back in 1997 they were the legion of doom yep. and they were only the legion of doom the average WWF viewer including me by the way including Vincent Kennedy McMahon wouldn't necessarily have known who the Road Warriors were. The Texas Tornado was occasionally known as the modern-day warrior Kerry Von Erich when he was wrestling in uh, Texas, because there's no point calling someone the Texas Tornado when he's from bloody Texas and so is everyone else in the company. But he was never referred to <laughs> that in WWF. I also think Kerry Von Erich, the character in WWF, was ordinary... I think he was a good wrestler. I think he was a charismatic wrestler. He deserved a bit more. But you never heard him talk. He never had much of a character. He was over as a babyface in an era where everyone was over as a babyface. Just, you just think the Red Rooster was over. The Brutus Beefcake was over. Everyone was over as a babyface. The crowd just cheered babyfaces because it was a red-hot territory. I don't think Texas Tornado goes with the other three. I think Ultimate Warrior and the, and the LOD is a great threesome. 
but it's not a Ford. The Texas Tornado doesn't fit. And the only reason people think it's cool is because it's four wrestlers that have been referred to as Warrior at some point during their career. I think it's a coincidence. Or somebody knew what they were doing booking it, a Bruce Pritchard or a Pat Patterson or somebody had the idea, or maybe even one of the talent. But I don't think Vince rubber-stamped that going, yeah, that's really cool, they're all warriors, because they would have built it that way. And they didn't, because that was not LOD's team name or uh, sorry, team name or character, and it wasn't Kerry Von Erich's team name or character. In fact, they didn't even call him Kerry Von Erich, they just called him the Texas Tornado. Um, I just don't think it fits as a team, and I think it's one of those ones... The three of them does, Warrior and the, and the LOD, definitely badass, big guys, face paint, clotheslines, no selling, absolutely as a trio. But Von Erich just does not fit with those. And just because he happened to be referred to as Warrior at one point in his career, I just don't think it fits. If they had, if he had never been called the modern day Warrior, and if the LOD had been LOD their entire career and had never been Road Warriors, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Hard disagreement on this one. First of all, right, I do agree with your point about the Warriors name. Never occurred to me. I've known, I've been watching this show for more years than I'll care to admit, um, and it barely, barely occurred to me that the four guys were all Warriors at various points. They were called the Warriors because that's the ultimate Warriors name, and they were always named after the team captain. No, I get that. No, 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 that's true. No, that's true. That's not my point. My point is that the legend over the last 30 years, if you say to people, name a Survivor Series team, people often go, the Warriors, because they were all called Warrior. And I say, no, they weren't. I've never, One I've of never, them was called Warrior. I've never heard anyone say that. I have seen that overwhelmingly. I'm, hand on heart. Hand on heart, I don't ever recall seeing that. But I do recall people overwhelmingly loving this team for all the right reasons. I think I think Texas Tornado fits in perfectly in a way that, you know, look at look at the A team. Look at the A team, right? The A team are four guys that are very different but fit together. Do you mean the television program? It's almost over. Do you mean the television yes, program? Yes, I do. Yes, I've, never, I do. I've never seen it. I'm aware of it. I know who they are. Mr. T and B.A. BA Brackus and um, The Face and whatever. I'm aware of it, but I've never watched it. Moving on. um, I think I've just ended our friendship. I don't think Paul's ever going to speak to me again, by the way. You've irrevocably damaged it. (laughs) Um, No, look, getting back to the the Warriors. The tornado isn't quite the same as the others, but he fits incredibly well. He's the young, he's the young, like, if they're the big bruisers that are sitting there, in, um, by they I mean the Ultimate Warrior and the Legion of Doom, if they're the big bruisers that sit at the bar throwing down beers and chomping on cigars, the Texas Tornado is the guy leaning up against the jukebox, part of the same friendship group, chatting up a girl. Part of the same group, the same vibe, but a different individual character but he fits so well and look they look like superheroes together they fit they mesh visually so well four muscle bound modern look at these you know to the point where you know they're, they're, they're cartoon characters sure um, but they embody everything that is 1990 91 WWF and what what fans wanted in baby faces there were almost two branches of baby faces in, in that period, one led by Hogan, one led by Warrior. And this is basically Warrior's gang. 
they're just so good like they just they, it makes all the sense in the world to have them together and and again I go back to the feeling element of it it just feels like they were born to be a Survivor Series team so not only will I argue I, I would I would I would stop the podcast until we got this one going but I think they're one of the greatest ever right right up there for me I don't there's any ambiguity at all I think Tornado doesn't fit I think if you took Tornado out and replaced him with the Bulldog I think that would be amazing I think no Davey no. Davey is absolutely no. the fit for that the physique the power just the way of being you can, I can imagine him you know, donning some of the face paint to join in Dave, that's a Davy Boy team he should be in that team rather than Tony Tony just, just, he just doesn't fit the ethos at all he absolutely fits the ethos Davy Boy wouldn't Davy Boy wouldn't fit just because he's a big muscly dude he was a very very different type of character there was no intensity Texas Tornado was a much better fit personality wise looked the part equally to David but he had the tassels and he had the bright colours um, there was there was just no there's no ambiguity for me it's a it's an almost perfect team and I've also got written down the team that faced them in that match I'll make nowhere near as strong a case for this one but the team is the three man demolition team of Mr. Perfect now this is a very different type of combination in that obviously Demolition and Mr. Perfect go together like chalk and apples um, but it, it felt like Mr. Perfect goes out you know he, need, he needs a, a squad to face the Warriors so instead of going out and finding his you know equally preening perfect friends he goes out and buy, finds the meanest badasses he can find pays them a shed load of money and tells them to have his back it felt it felt like that um, it, almost the chemistry came from them being so different and so so aloof from one another um, it was perfect gang of hard nuts to, to counteract the equally hard chiseled bastards he got across the ring from him and I thought that illustrated Mr Perfect's smarts very well as a character I thought it was a great team I think the logic behind that is really sound my issue with it is I've never liked Crush in Demolition I understand why they put it uh, in there, but I've always felt that Demolition fell down with the introduction of Crush. It doesn't feel like Demolition. It's not quite Droz being in the LOD, but it's a similar sort of thing. There are certain... T I tell you what, here's a very, very strange example, but you know, sm um, Crush being added to Axe and Smash is like when they added um, Lacey Von Erich or Madison Rain to the Beautiful People. It's and that's yeah, a very very strange about as polar opposite as you could possibly get as an example but sometimes the two is the thing and if you add a third it doesn't work you know I'm afraid that Crush is scrappy do you know what I mean the, the, the gang is the gang and if you add one it doesn't work <laughs> and and so I can't have that because of that um, that example I will though go to the year before and I see your perfect having three big dudes behind him and I raise you Bobby Heenan Andre the Giant Arn Anderson and Haku Full enough I made a slight mistake I've got three teams down from 1989 as well Okay. that's not one of them really okay interesting I, I, yeah. I am not sure about the actual 
you know, goings on of that match. I don't necessarily have a. Re- you might say something in a minute, and I go, oh yeah, but I don't really have a recollection of exactly what happened in that match. But that is, you might say I'm being contrad- well, contradictory here because I did say what I said about earlier on about the group of. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? The, the radicals. And you could argue that this is already a group as well. But I think the stable is different from a faction. And I think the radicals are a faction. And this is a stable. Um, and I would say that, you know, it's just... But simply put, look at the, that, those four names. Andre, as legit as you can get. The big, massive superstar. You know, a big star the whole world over. A draw everywhere he ever went. Okay, he's at the end of his career here. But, you know, he's still Andre. Arn and Haku... Have you ever seen two guys that were born at 40 years old have looked tough their entire life? <laughs> Arn is very self-deprecating on his podcast about how actually tough he is. Everyone recognises how tough Haku is. But forget real life. But on the TV, you know, Arn epitomises that enforcer role. Haku just looks like the coolest, badass, kick-ass guy you've ever seen, even if he probably shouldn't have been wearing those flowery trunks. You know, you've just got this group of three unbelievable guys and then you've got the weasel and that's who you're trying to get to mm. and the other team I should say the team that opposite them is, is Jim Neidhart Marty Gennetti Shawn Michaels and the Ultimate Warrior but it's really Warrior trying to get to Heenan and I think that's how it finishes isn't it I think it's Warrior getting hold of Heenan and it's like it's, yeah, it is. and it's that's the point you're going to get to and it's like I like the structure of the match I like the the tiny little weasel hiding behind these three monsters and the baby face is going to get to him in the end and I think if you're going to build that team and you say, OK, here's the premise. Like what you just said about Kurt, uh, Kurt Hennig and the, and the three demolition uh, agreed. And it's, and it's a tried and tested group. It's the same reasoning as Jerry Lawler and his three knights that ended up becoming Shawn Michaels and the three knights. And there's plenty of other examples of someone being the main guy and him trying to buddy up with others. It's a tried and tested, very, very successful, sensible heel group. And I would say if you ever wanted to epitomise it with the weasel heel at the front, and um, the monsters around him, I think that team is an absolute doozy. I think it's good. It's a good example of what you're saying. I don't think it's all-time great, mainly because of Heenan, unfortunately. As much, and you know, and everybody else knows out there who listens to this, how much I absolutely adore and rate Bobby Heenan as probably the greatest, or one of the greatest professional wrestling acts of all time. But this team doesn't feel right to me. Like, I get, I get the ethos behind it and I get they're trying to protect Heenan but it just doesn't mesh um, Heenan being a part of that and the other part of it being um, Arn Anderson because Haku and um, Andre were a tag team at this point I believe um, they may have even been tag team champions yeah it's a classification um, yeah yeah um, but Arn doesn't fit Arn doesn't fit in any way shape or form to me He's, if, if, if we take what you are saying is given and I do although I think we're veering a bit too much into liking the angle like than liking the team territory but that's just me being pedantic but Arn doesn't fit at all he's the odd man out if that was the barbarian who let's face it is a far inferior wrestler to Arn Anderson but if that was the barbarian and the barbarian and Haku were the team and Andre was the singles and Heenan was that Weasley manager I've got a lot more time for this team yeah, I've got a that. lot more I'd give you that inclination to put them in the conversation I'd give you that I don't, I don't accept what you and said about Heenan at one, great. at one point you said Heenan sort of lets it down and it's like no 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 Heenan makes it Heenan makes it because it's 
I, I take what you're saying about the you know the angle rather than the team, but the angle is you know that's what wrestling is about. We're trying to look at something which is the best for its particular sure. job. And when when I was slagging off the early part of the Survivor Series earlier on, it was just a whole bunch of people that were just put together and there was no particular reason for it. This is a, clearly an angle. This is clearly during the Ultimate Warrior having issues with Andre and with Heenan, you know, era. You know, this is indeed yeah. Warrior might even be the champ here, is he? What, what year is this? Eighty nine. After WrestleMania, uh, no, five. he's not. No, no, he's not quite by then, is he? It's savage, but um, it's before. It's before. Is he, is he into Yeah, it's before Warriors champ. It's, it's, it's Hogan. It's Hogan. Yeah, it's um, yeah, because he's won it back from Savage at five. Yeah, that's right, it's Hogan. But um, it's you know, it's it's still you know part of the angle is Warrior trying to get to Heenan, and I, and I think if you were trying to build, because we we will end up veering into the territory of just picking cool babyface teams, and you know, and having proper proper heel teams is just as important. And we don't have to have a balance. That's not that's not how this works. But you know, sometimes you need to say this is an effective unit. In the same way that you know, having the world's best defender is not as cool as having the world's best centre forward. But you ain't going to win the league with five great forwards and no good defenders. Hello, Kevin Keegan, Newcastle, 1995-96. Like you've got to have you know a little bit of both. And so the defenders, in some ways, are the heels because they're the less sexy thing. And I love that unit because I just think it feels like. I, I like it. There are two different types of heels, basically, aren't there? There is a tough heel that's a prick, and there's a, a not very tough heel that's even more of a prick. Because you need to have a reason for disliking them. And actually, sometimes if heels just kick ass all the time, they end up getting cheered. You know, AKA Batista, Diesel, Sean, uh, Steve Austin. Yeah. You know, people just start cheering them because they're kind of cool because they're badasses. You need them to be sneery, which is one of the reasons why Triple H in 2000 is one of the greatest heels of all time because he was good and he was winning and he still hated him this is the combo this is the Heenan the absolute one that he you know he's talentless and you can kick his ass I could kick his ass you could kick his ass the referee could kick his ass let alone the ultimate warrior but you've got to get through these three other monsters or these other three proper proper tough dudes and how is Marty Jannetty going to kick Haku's ass how is Shawn Michaels going to be tough enough to get past Arn Anderson but the warrior could do you know what I mean? There's, to me, there's that it's that nice mix of yeah. of everything. I understand why you're not so you know over enamoured with it, but I, I think it's a I think it's a lovely, lovely setup. But I, I, I will concede, yeah, Barb instead. Of, like, like I think Bulldog instead of Tornado. I will concede that Barb instead of uh, Arn is is a better fit. What's your other one from that year? Then? The next team. How how dare you? First of all, besmirch Philippe Albert, Steve Howie, John Beresford, and Warren Barton. How dare you? Now there's a thought. There's a magic force for you. You've never even. Anyway. I, I think Darren Peacock played more than all of those. So. Um... <laughs> well, Darren Peacock deserves your scorn. Yeah. And my other two teams from, sorry, my other three teams from that year. First of all, um, in I had the Warriors down as a very distant third. To be fair, Warrior, as you said, Ultimate Warrior, the Rockers, and Jim the and the Nine. Wasn't it funny that Anvil and Bret Hart were on different teams that year? Um, very odd. Um, then, then you've got um, the Rude Brood, who were ravaging Rick Rude, Mister Perfect, and the fabulous Rujo brothers. You talk about smarmy heels, and look at that team of smarmy heels, just, just awesome. Like a really, you know, you want to punch each and every one of them in the face, but the point is you can't because they're genuinely fantastic wrestlers as well as being cheating scumbags um, and they just meshed with guys that didn't associate together on screen but meshed 
perfectly yeah. um, in every single way. Another real life one there in the fact that um, Kurt Hennig and Mick Rude were basically friends from school, weren't they? It was uh, yeah. People always were. talk about Edge and Christian because Edge and Christian were associated together, but um, Hennig and Rude had known each other forever, and then one day they went into the flying machine and out came Bobby. Um, but uh, it's yeah, it's a good shout. It's a really good shout. Um, I, I, I just think the the Rougeos are one of those that they're a bit of a forgotten team in the sense that I always felt that they were. You're right that they were smarmy heels. They were almost too good though. They they were they, they probably shouldn't have been as. I sort of think of the Rougeau brothers a bit like the Beverly brothers. That kind of, you know, they were only really there to be an opening opening match and get beaten. Was they probably deserved a little bit more than that? And I sort of I think I think of them as being a lot lower down the card than the other two. So I think that's why to me that doesn't really fit because the Rougeaus are an opening act, if that. And you know, while Rick Rude and Mr. Perfect are not really main inventors um, in the WWF era, they're very, they're only the next level down, and they certainly have the talent to be main inventors. So I, I think I, I would reject that one, or at least not have so much in, you know enthusiasm for that one, only because I feel like they're at that, at that particular time they don't feel that they're on the right plane to me. Well, I, I. I concede your point, but that's, to me, that's a great example of the sum being greater than the parts. And um, they weren't quite as um, lowly as you maybe remember them, and they were in some quite significant feuds. But they never troubled the tag team titles. But you know, there were so many good teams back then that many didn't. Um, who were they against? You know, who were they against? I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, I haven't got it in front of me actually. Let me have a quick look. Survivor Series 1989. What I will say when you're looking that up is that uh, I do think that Rick Rude, I think, is one of the. I don't know, I wonder how to put this. I think there's a lot of people who would be listening to this and won't, won't really know a lot about Rick Rude. You know, if you are under 30, let's say, he's never talked about. He's never never comes up on any lists about anything. The only time he's ever talked about is the fact that he was on the same, you know, he was on different shows in the same week, wasn't he? He was on Raw and Nitro and ECW all in the same week, and he's one of he's a pawn in the uh, in the Monday Night War story. Um, yeah. But the story of Rick Rude and a man who I remember being this preening, you know, uh, mid card intercontinental guy. What I would like right now, and all that kind of stuff, and and the swivel hips, who then turned up a few years later as a bodyguard, and I went, hang on, he's not a tough guy, and where's that come from? And actually, if you watch his time in between in WCW, it's outstanding. And basically, yeah. the guy became a serious main eventer by cutting his hair. And yeah. <laughs> short-haired Rick Rude looks like a badass. Permed Rick Rude looks like an idiot. And but it, that kind of worked for him as well because he, he was he was billed as an idiot. You know, if you don't know a lot about Rick Rude, he was kind of a sort of slightly plainer, less charismatic Val Venus was kind of how he was portrayed in, in the WWF. But if you go and watch his WCW run, you know, where he's treated much more seriously, much more like he's a tough guy, you know, he, he's amazing. And it's like, it's a real example of... I always said there are certain footballers who suit certain clubs. They're not necessarily... 
you know any better or worse as a player but they look better or worse because of who they're with and, and whatever and WWF Rick Rude I think is kind of ordinary he's alright he's pretty good but he's not a star and I think he's pretty good but when you factor in WCW Rick Rude man alive he's outstanding and Rick Steamboat is probably the same sort of thing if you just remember Ricky Steamboat from WrestleMania 3 and a little bit as the dragon yeah fine but then you factor in you know his NWA and WCW stuff and it's like man alive Ricky Steamboat's one of the greatest of all time so what I'm basically saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop filling now because I trust that your internet is quick enough that you've actually now found that answer um, if, you, <laughs> if, if you do not know much about Rick Rude he is absolutely someone worth if you've got a couple of hours to kill of a weekend and you've got the network go back and watch some Rick Rude stuff especially some stuff in WCW so that team they were facing was Roddy's Rowdies as many people would have been shouting already while we spilled the time there but it was Roddy Piper Jimmy Snooker and the Bushwhackers so uh, an interesting combination there so uh, the other team I've got from 1989 was a bit of a it's a bit of a, a star-studded team actually probably the first sort of all-star team I guess uh, Hulk Hogan uh, being the team captain and top name along with Jake the Snake Roberts who was probably the biggest you know, mid-card babyface up a mid-card babyface at the time and uh, the biggest tag team babyface is Demolition um, it was a really uh, what counts against these guys to me is that there's no chemistry there's no fit of personality it was more a case of having you know, if you were a fan back then and you were to put a babyface Survivor Series team together there's every chance that that's the team you would have picked um, at that time in 1989 but to me they don't make they don't get any further than this just because Hulk Hogan's so different to Jake Roberts who are so different to Demolition and it doesn't feel like there's ever any camaraderie between them I think sometimes when you see a team written down sometimes you go oh that's a cool team and sometimes you go oh that's interesting and I think this is in the latter bracket I, I do like this team I have written it down I like it stronger than several of the other suggestions that we've said so far but I absolutely do accept that they're not really you wouldn't put them together would you that wouldn't be a for example a, a, a believable stable would it no if that exactly. was going forward and you were going to go well I'll tell you what we're going to do we're going to write six months of TV where Hogan has his own group called you know you know the Hulkamaniacs or whatever and the people he aligns himself with just like the Four Horsemen is Jake the Snake Roberts and, the, and Demolition At, there's no fit there but if you do say okay give me four people that epitomise 1989 baby faces whoa hello you know we're absolutely in, we're absolutely in the territory there this is a 1989 representative team isn't it this is the team yes, of the year is. this is not the, 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 the team you're putting together but it's the, it's the team of the year it's the award winners it's the you know it's the ones that just uh, just absolutely should be there but that, would you necessarily put them together if you were in a kayfabe world if you were building a team you probably wouldn't put those those together would you, you they wouldn't necessarily have the you sort of in, in, instinctively think well you know Jake, Jake wouldn't want to be subservient to anyone like Hogan right. is, Ho, Hogan is clearly the captain Demolition could clearly be a sort of enforcer tag team that could be you know Bebop and Rocksteady to Hogan's shredder but you don't really see Jake in there, do you? If anything, Jake should be the top man. He should be Hogan's mentor. Do, do you know what I mean? In terms of the, the actual yeah. I, the IQs of them all. If, if you, it doesn't quite work. I was gonna, I'm going to use one from the other side. But Jake is Splinter. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the, 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 the Turtles might be the heroes, but Jake is the one that's not as tough, but he's the brains. And 
Um, I've, I know I've mixed my teams there. Don't get all stressy with me, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtle fans. Um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't quite. Ninja. Matter. No, Hero. I'm English. It was Hero. It was Hero when I was, I was growing Ooh. up. <laughs> it's Hero on all of my bits of paper when I was a kid. Um, so Fine. therefore, I go with that. But it's um, yeah, no, it doesn't quite work, does it? It's nearly there, but it doesn't quite work. No, absolutely it. Right, what we're going to do now, because as always, we've spent far too much time on the first few. Um, so we need to not... I'm going to burn through some now that I've got on my list for acknowledgement's sake. But, okay, um, I, li- I literally only have about... Five. I've only got about four or five others that I want to talk about anyway, so on, on you now. Okay, well, you probably haven't got any of these in, so I'm going to go in... I am going to go in chronological order for these burner ones. So um, we'll start in 1991. Okay. I've got one team before then, but for these, for these burns options, we've got uh, the Mountie, Ric Flair, Teddy Biossi and the Warlord. Fun team. Probably echoes what you've said uh, about the 1989 Hogan team in that it's a a cross-section of 1991 babyfaces, but not a lot of chemistry there. Um, And obviously there's a couple of guys that aren't quite at the level of Flair and Biossi, but I thought it was a really fun team and, you know, worth mentioning. We'll come back to maybe their opponents. I'm only going to stop you on this one. I won't keep stopping you, but on this one in particular, I think that's a really good example of lots and lots and lots of teams through Survivor Series history where I've looked at and gone oh this is shaping up like a fantastic team oh the Warlords in it and as I know yeah, I, exactly. I know sometimes there are people that fit their era and might not be the greatest worker in the world and like you just talked about you know Barbarian being better than Arn Anderson in certain ways but in other ways and whatever but I don't think Warlord was any good at anything I think he was a, 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 a character that, a, a bad wrestler in a character that didn't get over so uh, you know he would uh, he would not be anywhere in a, in a team that would be successful for me. Much later on, I'm skipping ahead slightly, but much later on, there's a team that I don't remember all of it, but uh, there's like three really great over baby faces and Maven. Do you know what I mean? And it's another yeah. one where you go, bloody yeah, hell, yeah. Maven is in there, and you just can't put a greatest team of all time that's got Maven in it, even if it might have made sense at the time, he was over at the time or whatever. But actually, aside, he wasn't. But um, you know, so there's a lots of I call them Maven teams in my head, and that's a Maven team or a Warlord team. Anyway, carry on. Orton, Orton, Jericho, and Benoit were his team. Exactly. I mean, how good is that um, team for that? For that, because that's what 2004, exactly. something like that. That's Four. a great team for that era. 2004. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so 1993, um, we've got an opening match team here of uh, Randy, the Matchman Man Randy Savage, Razor Ramon, the One Two Three Kid, and Marty Jannetty. Very cool team. Very cool, but not not one that I'm going to take forward I have um, that on my list good right it's a well worthy team to have on your list but I don't think it's going to get any further than, than acknowledgement um, skipping forward a fair old bit actually now um, a fair old bit actually into 2007 um, wow okay. I'm, going to, I'm just going to give an acknowledgement an acknowledgement for a team made up of Jeff Hardy Rey Mysterio Kane and Triple H Again, it's a great team on paper, but it doesn't make the Pulse race, does it? No. Um, you know, In fact, you've, never, you've never associated Rey Mysterio with Triple H. Well, that just doesn't Correct. go, does it? They, have they ever no. wrestled? Do you know what I mean? It's like they're just... They, I'm, sure, I'm sure they have. Someone will now go, yes, they wrestled on SmackDown in 2012, whatever. But you just... For the amount of time they've both been in the company, you don't think about Triple H and Rey Mysterio. Nope. Um, and then in the same sort of time frame 2008 there's another team that caught my eye and it's probably another Maven team really um, based on your fairly succinct um, naming of it but it's Batista CM Punk 
Kofi Kingston, Matt Hardy, and R Truth. Yeah, see four four four, -truth four good wrestlers, four great wrestlers and Matt Hardy. <laughs> Matt Hardy was on fire in two thousand eight. Yeah, he was. I've, um, I've never ever liked him, but yeah, you're right. That was uh, he was on fire. It, it was his high point as a singles guard, um, arguably. Um, By the maybe, way, maybe the version poor one Matt, better. Poor Matt, who has been trying very hard for 25 years to come up with 17 different gimmicks to try and get himself over, and the time he was most over in his entire life was when his bird cheated on him. There you go. Very, very, very right. Um, 2013, there's a cool team um, of The Shield, Cesaro, and Jack Swagger. Yeah, when they were the all nice American little team, Americans. I thought. That's right, the real American, real Americans, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, great team there, I think. Uh, but let down by the fact that really it was a vehicle for Roman Reigns. Um, and then my last two burner teams, really, are both from last year. Um, when they were doing those strange triple threat, yeah. Raw, SmackDown, NXT teams, just so they could get NXT over. Right. Um, as it had just become on broadcast television. I'm Before actually, you say I'm, it. I'm looking at before you say it, there was one match that I thought of there was two teams that I looked at in the same match and I thought actually they're pretty good teams they're quite eye-catching teams I haven't put them on my list but I wonder if that's what they're going to be do you want me to say it first because you've got it written down do you want me to say what I, what I thought well, it might be they can't possibly be because the two I'm picking aren't in the same match oh, okay. and they're not even the same gender okay well both of my both of mine are the same gender because it was, I think, the Raw team and the NXT team from the women's triple threat. Right. Okay. Well, I've got the NXT team from the women's triple, which, uh, triple threat, which was Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, Candice LeRae, Io Shirai, and Tony Storm. Brilliant, isn't it? How just, good is that? Just awesome. Awesome. Like, you know, so representative. You know, even without all of the, you know, the big guns, the four horsewomen and, and Asuka, you've still got an incredible mix of veterans, newbies, it just feels so right, doesn't it? it and feels it's got like a cause. perfect And it's got yeah. a cause because this is when we talked about the Raw versus SmackDown thing that doesn't work. Actually, last year they're kind of it did make a wee bit of sense because you have that NXT pride that you might have the same way that you might be like if it was the Premier League versus the Championship or whatever, but if you were National League, you might have a little bit more about the, the non league teams. Or, you know, the old ECW had that feel. NXT, not quite so much, because it's still the same corporate banner. But you do feel more like someone is an NXT person. So you think of the people that have been... Like, I still... You know, you think of Finn Balor as NXT, don't you? Even though he's been... I know he's, got, I know, I know he's back there now. But I'm saying that even when he was on Raw, Balor felt like an NXT guy. And there's, you know, there's certain people that still feel like NXT people. And, and they, Bailey is always going to be an NXT woman. Because, you know, that's where she made her name. Really? Um, you know, to me, a little bit like the Dudleys will always be ECW, even though they might have only been there three years. You know, they'll always feel that they're aligned to that group. I think that's a great group. What's the team that's in that same match that's got um, that's got Charlotte Flair in it? I think it's Charlotte Natalia. Uh, I did I did write this down actually, but I haven't got it in front of me. Um, you do your other team from last year while I have a look at that. Yeah. You do that. The other team is actually the other NXT team. Um, for very similar reasons, rinse and repeat in terms of the reasonings we've said. But look at this for a team. Tommaso Ciampa, Damian Priest, Matt Riddle, Keith Lee, and Volta. What a team. 
Yeah, I mean, I have, I have to say, my issue with this, and this is an ignorance on my part, is I don't really know who Damien Priest is. I mean, I know, I do know who he is. I know if he stood in front of me, I'd go, oh, that's Damien Priest. I'd answer a quiz question about him. But I don't know his character. I don't know his ethos. I don't even know his talent. I've seen him twice. Like, so I don't, I don't really know anything about right. Damien Priest. So I can't judge that one. But certainly the other four, ooh, tippy top. Yeah, Priest is the, the weaker link, but weaker, not weak. Um, and he is, you know, he was getting a decent heel push at the time, but the other four, you know, Champa was at his peak um, of his NXT overness at that point, in my opinion. Uh, ditto Matt Riddle, it was where Keith Lee just broke out, really, and Walter, similarly. I think it's a great team. I, I'd be tempted to put a circle around that rather than a cross, now I'm thinking about it, but... I don't think it'll make the five, but we'll see. The uh, the team Raw team, I should say, from the, the women's triple threat, uh, five on five on five, was Charlotte, Natalia, Asuka, Kyrie Sane and Sarah Logan. Uh, Sarah Logan being the odd one out there, but I always thought she had masses of potential and I thought she always got a reaction. I thought there were times where, you know, out of her little triumvirate, she was the one that actually looked like she was a wrestler and and people got behind and I, I thought she had a lot of potential I was very surprised when they let her go I thought there was a lot in her that they could have done something with to the lesser extent the Smackdown team um, Sasha Carmella Dana Brooke Lacey Evans and Nikki Cross is substantially weaker than the other two teams in my opinion oh big time big time okay so let's look at some contenders now shall we let's look at some contenders and I'm going to start with I'm going to go all the way back to 1988 and I'm going to go to the biggest team that I've got on this list and it's a team of five tag teams. Oh, Listen okay. to this. I hated these. Listen matches. to this. The power, you might have hated the matches, but listen to the team. The Powers of Pain, the Rockers, the Heart Foundation, the British Bulldogs, and the Young Stallions. Oh my goodness. What a lineup of talent. Well, it is to an extent, but the Young Stallions were talk about a, a one that doesn't fit you can't put the young stallions in the same bracket I mean I'm not saying that well, young stallions Jim, Powell, Jim Powers and Paul Roma right that's right yeah no, I mean they're just like not even approaching the same level as certainly three of those other teams and I don't think Power and I never thought Power and Glory were uh, you know they were Powers of Pain sorry uh, yeah Powers of Pain Warlord and Barbarian um, I never thought they were you know when, when other people talk about demolition being the LOD rip off I always want to go. The powers of pain are the LOD ripoff. Like hello. Yeah, true. And, and it's, true. I just I think you've got three amazing teams and two crap ones there. So not Ooh, for me. Fair enough. I wasn't me. expect. I wasn't expecting that. But I, think I mean the other six. The, the other six. Ease of your life, the other six. The Bulldogs, the Rockers, and the Heart Foundation. I would have never like in my head said they were all baby faces at the same time. That's extraordinary. No. Yeah, well, that was probably the one moment, wasn't it? Oh. And I think I think the, it was the it was the match where the powers of pain turned and demolition went babyface. So, um, okay. okay, well, let, let's get rid. Of, I'm not I'm not going to hold on to them because you know if you you're clearly opposed and that's absolutely fine. Let's go then, my lord, to 1991. We've already mentioned the opponents for these guys, and this to me is the absolute perfect team in terms of in the fact that they've got defined relationships interwoven in the team without being too familiar they fit like a glove because it's a natural team you can believe this team would put themselves together but they're not a faction they're not a stable they're not familiar on screen 
I give you the British Bulldog, Intercontinental Champion Brett the Hitman Hart, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and you might sound this might sound like the odd one out, but in late nineteen ninety one that was not the case. Virgil. Virgil was over, man. Virgil Massively. was over. Massively. Um no, I think that's a good choice. Um that is the kind of one where on face value right, face value, Hogan Snake Demolition is way better than the four that you just said. Because of the fact that Virgil's in it. But if with the time and the place, as you say, the relationships between them, I, I think that's a very strong shout. I really do. And people will laugh at that because it's got Virgil. But even then, Virgil has only really become a punchline uh, since that picture of him with no fans at his, um, his what do you call it, stall at a uh, convention. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying he was ever, you know, a main event Hall of Fame you know, kind of guy, but the va- the Virgil Million Dollar Man turn and then series of matches was mega over in 1991. Go and Huge. watch. Go and watch the, the the WrestleMania match with Piper on crutches, and then go and watch the SummerSlam match with with you know with the Million Dollar Belt on the line. That crowd are so, so into it. So into it. What did I say? What? Yeah. Sorry, I thought, no, I thought, no, I was agreeing with you. I thought you were crazy. No, no, agreeing um, with you. I just, it's, it is, you have to judge things on, on the, the time and the place in the same way that, you know, you can look at a certain, you know, there's certain comedy shows that, you know, these days are not, you know, they're not really funny anymore. But the reason they're not funny anymore because of the world, like, you can't watch Citizen Smith anymore because the world isn't like Wolfie Smith's tooting in the early 1980s. Because he's, he's he's raging against Maggie and against you know capitalism and whatever and it's like that's you can't understand it now you can't live that life no one's it doesn't work anymore um, and various other you know shows would be like that they don't work out of their era whereas others are absolutely fine and I think that is a real you know <laughs> Virgil yeah right and it's like okay Mike Jones the the talent might not have been you know the greatest wrestler of all time or the greatest promo of all time but Virgil the character for that year you know there are certain characters are there not that you know, have a small shelf life. And again, going back to a TV example, you know, take a here's a weird one we probably haven't mentioned on the on the podcast before. What about Richard Hillman from Corrie? Do you remember him? Right, right <laughs> nasty yeah. piece of work, killing off, trying to kill off Gail and her family and all that kind of stuff. Amazing character, but Richard Hillman couldn't last 20 years on the on on Corrie. He's not Ken Barlow. You know, he's not you know you know Emily Bishop, inoffensive, sits in the corner and doesn't say much. You know, it's a character that burns really bright, and then ha- but then has to die, and it's like, and, and so there are certain wrestling characters that really ought to be treated that way. You know, they they suddenly burn and then they fade away. 100%. And actually, under Virgil's a very very different character to Richard Hillman, but sometimes you look at a character and go, okay, this is a short burn. And sometimes, a lot of the time, what happens is there's no second chapter behind the turn. I'll give you another one from a little bit of a. Of a another time frame that's not dissimilar to a Virgil what about Alex Riley do you remember him Alex Riley I do Alex yeah. Riley yeah. turned on the Miz and the it was oh my god the noise when he turned on the Miz Alex Riley was about to be one of do you know every every now and again like the before the World Cup you know the Daily Mail will print there this is what the World Cup team will look like in 10 years time and it's all full of you know yeah, people yeah. You know, it'll be like Phil Foden will be captain and 
you know, it's, it's various others that are now 19. Jude Bellingham will be playing and all this. It's what does the team look like? And they've always, they always get it wrong. Well, if you'd have done what's the, you know, what's the main event going to be in 10 years' time at that point, you'd have probably said Ted DiBiase Jr. versus Alex Riley. You know, you, you have these ideas of who's going to burn, you know, forever, and it doesn't really work. But because no one's really written the following chapter for them. In fact, there's quite a lot of examples for that with the Miz. You know, of people, you know, because you say the similar sort of thing about, you know, Damien Sandow or Damien Mizdow. But going back to Virgil, I think that's the thing is Virgil is that short-term character that, you know, after he has his association with Ted DiBiase, he has real no no real need to exist anymore. He's 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 conquered the man he needed to conquer. He's got over that, but he doesn't have the ability to be someone that's around for ten years and be a superstar. So once that's done, I'm sorry sorry, Verge, but off you off you pop and you'll turn up filling in for someone in a few years' time in the Rumble when when Bastian Booger's throwing up or whatever it is. But it's a great shout. And if anyone doesn't you know, if anyone looks at it and goes, Nah, that doesn't really work, it absolutely does. And again, talk about an era, that is the the Intercontinental Championship defined, you know, Bret Hart, the British Bulldog and Rowdy Roddy Piper around that era, isn't it? That's, mm, that is the sure. IC title yeah. with one or two others that you would factor in as well, you know, Sean, the Mountie, you know, whatever. But, the, you know, for, for that era, they are absolutely that, you know, playoff level, not automatic promotion, but playoff level stars. Obviously, Piper had been a bigger star and was dropping a little bit. The other two were on their way up. But Davy would never quite get there. Brett would, and it's, but it's yeah, it's a great, it's a great fit. You you absolutely associate them because of Brett and Piper's friendship, because of Brett and Davy's family relationship, even with even with Davy Boy and and Piper, because they're supposedly both British. Um, it's it's a lovely fit. It's a lovely, and lovely Piper lovely and Piper and Piper and Virgil. And Piper and Virgil, Virgil was, because that was the story. Like, you get up now, Virgil. It's, yeah, it's, it, it fits. Piper was a catalyst. Yeah, it fits perfectly. It works. Right, I'm going to go with the, the, the probably the biggest name team now. I don't, I don't even want to spend too long talking about this because I don't think it's that interesting to talk about. But we we have to stick it in there in some form or fashion. It's Team WWF in 2001. Yeah. Um, there's no way of getting around this. It's The Rock. It's Chris Jericho. It's The Undertaker. It's Kane and The Big Show. Say no more. Like you know, we talked earlier about it doesn't need to have to just be main eventers. It, it's not just about who the biggest stars are. These are a collection of the biggest stars. It's the biggest stars that the Survivor Series team has ever been, um, with a purpose, with a common goal, um, with storylines intermingled, you know, Jericho, Rock, and everything else in there. It has to be there, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yes, it does. The, the biggest problem with it, what, we, what we'll do is we'll almost certainly put it on the five and it will come fourth or fifth, um, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and that's fine. That's sometimes the way things have to be. The problem with the team that you've just mentioned is that the team of Chris Jericho, Kane, Kurt Angle, Stone Cold, Steve Austin and The Undertaker is a better team uh, and they were on a pay-per-view some five months earlier, uh, Invasion, which is obviously not what we're talking about. Uh, I don't think that was an elimination match and it's not on the Survivor Series um, pay-per-view, so it's irrelevant. But when we were building teams in that era, it's essentially bookending the, the feud, isn't it? It's the start of the Invasion and it's the end of the Invasion and the first team, WWF, is a better team than the, than the last one. And, and I think that's a, that's an issue with it. And also, I, I still have a very, very strong recollection of... Because Kurt was essentially a... You know, that, Kurt was a heel up until that point. And, you know, was still broadly a heel. But there's a point where, when the WWF are banding together, where Kurt Angle is down in the corner, and Undertaker stands over him and puts his arm out and lifts Kurt up. And Kurt, with his wide eyes, looks at this guy who he was feuding with a few months earlier. 
and can't believe the Undertaker is basically saying you're with me and it was a, that felt like a team and then obviously it gets undercut by the fact that Austin you know betrays them and that's all a great angle if all of that had happened at Survivor Series I'd have said that's the greatest Survivor Series team of all time but it didn't it happened at Invasion yeah. so we can't talk about it so I feel like it undermines the team that we just talked about in a, in a sense and again there's not a massive amount of cohesion there in terms of their in terms of their talents in terms of their relationships and whatever there's a bit of intermingling there's lots of you remember storylines between Rock and Show and Undertaker and Kane and Jericho and Rock and whatever but there's something about that lineup that's not quite right but you're absolutely Agreed. right in terms of star power in terms of amount of titles won money drawn indeed there's probably not been a team you know that that compares to them and we uh, kind there's of no, there's no there's no probably they're, a, they're an absolute mile ahead of anything mm. else really and I think we have to um, look at their opposition and say you know it's Austin Angle Van Damme Booker and Shane which is almost like, I think in that order I think as well um, in terms mm. of their stardom which is a pretty strong team but it feels like you can't put two from the same match in because one of them is always going to overshadow the other and so yeah, I agree with you. Team WF, WWF is almost certainly going to go on the five, but it doesn't excite me. I feel exactly the same way. Um, two more. Have you got any more? How many have you got left? Uh, I have got one more that I would like to push for and two more that we would probably talk about but not go for the five, but I think they're historically significant to Survivor Series. Give, give me those two, then. Give me those two. Well, they're for different reasons, uh, and they're from the same show. Um, but right. one is I am more of a fan than I should be because there are reasons that we've already explained that I shouldn't like it but I am a bigger fan than I should be of the wild card match from 1995 um, okay. which is slightly weirdly put together but it did have little through lines and storylines and reasons why people were intermingled and I think the better team of the two because again the maven on one team is Dean Douglas um, but on the other side, you've got Ahmed Johnson, Shawn Michaels, Davy Boy Smith, and Sid. And yeah. again, that is 1995 personified. That is absolutely, absolutely with, with the exception of Diesel and Brett, that is, and who, who were main eventing that show, that is 1995. Ahmed Johnson is another one of those Virgils of, you might look back and he might be a slightly, you know, you know comedy bloke. He's a bit of a strange man. But for a little while in 1995, Ahmed Johnson was the new Huge. Ultimate Warrior. He was going to be the. Yep. There was no doubt in your mind that there was absolute certainty that Ahmed Johnson would be the world champion within two years. He was that absolute yep. can't miss world champion that comes along every now and again, and then you go, oh, she's not that good, and people are fed up with him quite quickly. He is Ryback. He is very. He is Mr. Kennedy for, for different reasons. Um, they're absolute can't miss prospects they're Carlito um, or different different types of people but they're, 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 you are certain they're going to make it and didn't Sean is Sean at this point Sean is the biggest star in the company at this point he's not even been the champion yet um, but he is what everything is built around he's the coolest guy going he's the one that all the um, uh, all the push is behind he's the man Davey always had that thing of being a heel actually Davey and Sid both always had that thing of being a heel that you could sort of cheer for if you needed to and they kind of fit as a four and the, the way the story goes those four stay together a bit better than the other four because 
Razor and um, Dean Douglas have a falling out. Razor causes Dean Douglas to get um, pinned. I know the Bulldog comes in at the end to try and save. Uh, is it Yoko that's his um, stable mate? But it's anyway. It's because it's Owen and Owen and Yoko on the other side. But it's. I just think it's a fun. I, I, I probably feel that it'll get called out outside of the four because uh, outside of our top five, I should say, because realistically that match doesn't hugely stand up to scrutiny because there's not a real reason for it. It's a weird match. It's slightly oddly booked, but I've got a sort of weird liking for it, and I think it would probably make my top five, but I don't see that it would... Like, for example, I absolutely would have this ahead of Animal Hawk, Tornado and Warrior, but for the good... Every now and again, I need to take a fall for the people, and I absolutely know that if that was a head-to-head you know, competition, then the Warriors team would annihilate my team. Uh, in terms of the voting, so I can't be too selfish and pick what I want to pick. I have to understand the greater good. But if it comes down to a choice of those two, I will concede to your one. But I, but I think it would make my five. Well, let's stick it on there and and see what see what shakes out. So, what's your other team from the same? The, the other one is not from the same. It's not a team. But it's, it's just a match I want to mention because I think if we were doing uh, a question was what is the best Survivor Series elimination match of all time. I think it's very possibly the opening match on this show. Very possibly. And the, the teams are, and there's very, very little in terms to get you very excited on here. Two of these are virtually jobbers. But the teams of the one, two, three kid, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Rad Radford and Skip, versus Barry Horowitz, Bob Holly, Hakushi and Marty Janetti is one of the least packed with star power matches you're ever going to see in your life. And it is an absolute classic. You may remember yeah, when we were having a conversation about what's the greatest pay-per-view of the 1990s. I was pushing for Survivor Series 1995, and you thought I was not being very serious, I think. And others you know, later on said, was, what was Rob on about that one? But Survivor Series 1995, with the wild card match that I have a, you know, a, a little you know, liking for that I've just explained, with one of the most underrated main events of all time, because Brett walks um, Kevin Nash through the best match of Diesel's career by far in the main event with an amazing finish and it all starts with this um, this elimination match which A has amazing action B has quite a few believable finishes one of the other things that I've not really talked about so far in Survivor Series that I hate is that suddenly transition moves like clotheslines and back body drops suddenly became pinfalls in these matches because you had to buzz through seven pinfalls in 12 minutes um, and there's actually some believable pins in this. Marty Gennetti power bombed Chris Candido off the top rope for fuck's sake. <laughs> some extraordinary <laughs> action in this. Babyface Hakushi was plenty over at this time, and this is also Correct. just turned baby, uh, just turned heel one two three kid. Who, as the storyline goes, the million dollar man bought the place on the team. I forget who from, but I think it might have been Jean Pierre Lafitte was meant to be on this team. And in storyline, okay. in storyline, the Million Dollar Man buys the spot for Sean Waltman, who has just turned heel, I think, the week before. And then Sid comes out at the end and helps out. It's, it's, it's a fabulous match. It's very, very hard to say one of those teams deserves to be in an all-time great Survivor Series team, because one of them is going to have either Rad Radford or Barry Horowitz in it. And if you're going to, if you're struggling to sell Virgil, you're even more struggling to sell Rad Radford or Barry Horowitz. <laughs> but the match is amazing, and if we were having a conversation about the best elimination match of all time, I genuinely think this is the best Survivor Series match of all time. 
it's right up there, mate. It's absolutely right up there. You, you're dead right what you say. We can't really consider it the team, but the match, the match was phenomenal. But it's given me a really good segue into my last, or my second to last entry, which is um, from the other match that many would consider the greatest Survivor Series match of all time. In fact, probably the one I consider the greatest Survivor Series match of all time is from 2003, and it was Team Bischoff against Team Austin. And I'm going to nominate Team Austin. Um, for uh, for consideration, get this right. Bear in mind, we're in 2003. We've got Team Captain Shawn Michaels. We've got Rob Van Dam. We've got Booker T, and we've got the Dudley Boys, all together on one team at arguably the height of all of their careers, with the exception of Shawn Michaels, who was still you know going through his incredibly long and incredibly successful Indian summer. Um, but other than that, we've got four acts that until you know two years ago. Um, well, two of them were on the Invasion team, two of them were on the Alliance squad, now very much part of WWE, and it's just a great-looking team, with again, with um, with a purpose and with with real chemistry. What say you? I say the one that doesn't fit that group is, is Shawn Michaels. I just, But he fit because of the story. He was the captain, and he, he, he brought in the most capable guys. He picked the team. He picked the most capable team that he could, and that's that counts in this situation it really does um, and he picked the guys that you know he'd, he'd been in the ring with RVD he'd been in the ring with Booker um, and the Dudley boys were the, were the bruisers it, it, I think it's really strong it's a very strong fight I will say it's a very very strong fight I don't, there's no doubt about that what I don't think it is and why I won't we don't need to discuss it much further is I don't think it's going to make the five um, I'm going to remove it but I just I kind of wanted to acknowledge it as a very very good team probably top 10 for me yeah um, okay top 10 but not top 5 I just I, yeah it doesn't it doesn't excite me because I don't associate Sean I think if you replaced Sean with say Jericho I think that team right. suddenly has a different sort of edge to it I think that sort of cool factor that the Dudleys and RVD naturally have because of ECW and there's the link with the, the team with Booker T, that sort of slightly outsidery. None of those are really WWF guys, are they? They're sort of they're imported ECW and WCW acts, whereas Sean is WWF through and through, and that is important in 2003 because you're only just away from the, you know, the the, the ending of those other two companies. I, Sean doesn't fit. If that was a, a babyface Benoit, it was a babyface Jericho, maybe even Kurt Angle. But I don't think it fits Shawn Michaels as that. And I get with your point. I'm not saying it wasn't a good storyline, all that kind of thing. But I think he's the one that does. It. He's the greatest wrestler of all of them. He's one of the greatest wrestlers. He's probably the greatest wrestler of all time. But he just doesn't quite fit that group for me. But it's it's it's, it's a it's um that's, it's a it's a minor point. I'm I'm nitpicking. Okay, so moving on. The last name on my list, and I suspect it's probably the last name on the same name that you've got on yours. It's the one and only time. I have bought a pay-per-view, specifically a Survivor Series, solely on the makeup of one team. Are we going Wasn't to the year 2006? We most certainly are. It's not. I didn't buy this pay-per-view for any particular match. In fact, the card was pretty dross, including this match. Their opponents were, were pretty rank. I didn't buy it for a particular wrestler. I didn't buy it for any sort of promise of promotion. I bought it to watch CM Punk the Hardy Boys, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, D-Generation X as a squad in 2006. Oh my goodness. This had the lot. You know, it was 
obviously DX being the biggest baby face in the company by far at that time the Hardy Boys being well what needs saying about the Hardy Boys everybody loves the Hardy Boys they're cool they were going through another sort of their, their second sort of swing through as a tag team here with massive popularity seeing them tag team up with DX was fresh new but made total sense and then you've got the guy that everybody loved the new underground babyface CM Punk that was that only debuted in the company months prior and here he was on a team with four of the biggest stars in the company two of which are two of the biggest stars of all time maybe three arguably and then you've got Punk and the best thing about it is it fit he didn't feel like an add-on he felt like he was there because they'd handpicked him as the next big star and the right man for their team it was a massive endorsement for Punk and a bit of an all-star team it was the absolute highlight of a crap pay-per-view I, I, I motion that this is an absolute shoo-in for the top five yeah I think I probably would agree um, there's a certain element of have you ever had a mate that bangs on about a certain film that's like Oscar nominated or something like that and they rattle on about how good it is and then you see it and go oh, it's alright I think there's an element of that sometimes in wrestling where, again, I don't like using this broad term because we are all different, but the internet fans, smart fans, call them what you will, will get obsessed about a particular indie wrestler or a particular wrestler that they're very, 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 very keen on and are so excited yeah. about them that they bang on so much that ordinary fans almost have a bit of a backlash to it by going, well, Indeed. what's the fuss about? I think one of the more recent examples of that is probably Shinsuke Nakamura who hasn't really fulfilled his, you know, undoubted... If we'd have never heard of Nakamura and he'd have just turned up, we'd have gone, bloody hell, this guy's amazing. But because of the build-up he all had, you go, well, he had one great match against Sami Zayn, and then since then he's had lots of good stuff, but it's not absolute top-of-the-world like it should be. Yeah. I think that happens a lot, and I think when people come along, sometimes the ordinary fan that doesn't really follow anything outside of Raw and SmackDown doesn't really understand the fuss. And to begin with... There was a little bit of that with CM Punk to begin with, a little bit. But quite quickly, he was so good on ECW, and he was he was so likable as a character and so easy to mesh with for the wrestling fan, is that any qualms that people might have had about him such as that were, were removed. So the ordinary fan just saw this up-and-coming guy through ECW and liked him. The internet fan already liked him. Daniel Bryan had almost exactly the same path, by the way. Um, you know, having mm. to go through NXT. But they're so good that the average fan goes okay this guy's amazing so then when you get to somewhere like this particular pay-per-view you've only got one section of people left and that's that's the people I refuse to accept that anyone new is any good I only want the accepted talent you know I can't ever mesh with anyone brand new I always want to you know the someone that was around in the Attitude Era you know type which there are several of and this particular match is not just the lineup, not just the fact that Punk fit in there I mean, I don't even... He might have been eliminated in two minutes. I don't really remember. But the point I remember is... In fact, I think they won... It was a clean sweep, I think. I think all five of them stayed. It was. Yeah. Um, Correct. But the bit I remember is nothing to do with the match. I remember a couple of bits of the match. I remember Shawn Michaels getting in the ring with Mike Knox and saying, who's that? Which was very funny. Yeah. But how do you feel if you're Mike Knox and the greatest of all time is taking the piss that he's never heard of you on the other side of the ring? Um, but the bit I remember is that before the match started Triple H gave the microphone to CM Punk and CM Punk did the Are You Ready yeah do you remember that absolutely right and it's like it was it was the ringing endorsement and it was that was the moment and you know 
lots and lots of people have lots of bad things to say about Triple H and sometimes they've got a point but sometimes they can fuck off because there's a there's a, a real thing of Triple H never puts anyone over and actually I'm, there are, I'm sure there are examples of stories from behind the, the, the screen of him trying to stop the push of X, Y or Z but there are several, several wrestlers in WWE that would not have been where they were without Triple H. Now, CM Punk would have still got there. If they'd have never have done that, if, they, if they'd have had CM Punk losing, you know, in a, in a, in a match that night, you know, in, in 14 seconds to Chris Masters, CM Punk would have still been the star. I'm not saying it was all down to Triple H, right? But there are times where Triple H is giving, and that was a night where he didn't have to do that. And I don't ever remember anyone ever doing that, apart from DX. And on that night, and it might, you could even be cynical and say, oh, Triple H is jumping on the bandwagon. Well, whatever. But he recognises talent. And that, and those two have butted heads plenty since then. But on that night, for him to give the microphone to CM Punk and for Punk to go, are you ready? And it was like, that was one of the ultimate... They always used to talk about Hogan giving people the rub, didn't they? If Hogan lost to Warrior and then raised his hand or whatever and uh, endorsed them, then, you know, you were getting the, you know, you're getting the thumbs up from the champion and then you were okay. I thought that was a huge night for CM Punk, and I thought it was a pretty cool thing for Triple H to do. And you're right, at whatever point in history, if that, if that, those, those five teamed up again this week at Survivor Series, you'd go bloody hell, what a cool fivesome, wouldn't you? And it's like even now, even all of their, a, even all of their ages, the, the youngest of them being in their late forties or whatever, you'd still go, how cool is this team? And so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a, a shoe in, mate, absolutely, definitely. Um, so. That brings us to the conclusion of both of our lists, then. Yeah, I'm a little bit tempted to push a, a bit harder for um, One Two Three Kid, Razor, Genetti, and Savage, which I think is a brilliant team at a great time and um, you know, and a lot of fun. But you're not going to go for it, so there's no point wasting any more time. I no, I love the guys. I love the guys, but it's just looking at this, it's, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna happen. Um, these are the ones we've got left. Okay, so we've got. I'll try and do this in chronological order. We've got the Warriors from 1990. We've got Bulldog, Brett, Piper and Virgil from 1991. We've got HBK, Diesel, Owen, Jim Neidhart, Jeff Jarrett from 1994. We've got Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, the British Bulldog and Sid from 1995. Then we go up to uh, Team WWF from 2001, Rock, Jericho, Taker, Kane and Big Show. Uh, the team we just talked about from 2006, CM Punk, the Hardy Boys and DX. Uh, fast forward 10 years to uh, Team Raw with Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens, Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins. And uh, and then I'm, I'm chucking, I'm, do you know what? I'm going to get rid of Team NXT uh, from last year. It's just not relevant. So um, uh, that's where we're at. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. We've got seven. We only need to get rid of two this week, Rob. Okay, fine. I genuinely am going to let you pick the five. And unless, and, really? and, and unless I have a major, major opposition, then I'm going to let it go because you, you just know this topic better than I do. Um, those seven have got past both of us to get to this stage anyway, and I just don't have strong enough feelings on any of them. I don't think to think this one has to go in. I think the only two that I think are absolute shoe-ins for the five, I, I think you're going to pick them anyway. So I think you should pick the five. And if I really want to kick off about any of the ones that you've left off, then I will do. But let, okay. I'd like to hear you. That's your, very gracious. I'd like to hear. No, it's not gracious. It's just it's a more practical way of doing it because <laughs> it's um 
I don't profess to have the knowledge or the passion about this subject that you do. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it back at you ever so slightly because I've got a, I've got a, I'm on a heads or tails situation for two of them. So first of all, I'm going to take out the uh, the wildcard team from 1995. Um, they're gone. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Um, the ones, the ones I am going to put through are the Warriors, um, the Bulldog Brett team from 1991, um, Team WWF, and Punk Hardy's DX. Um, they're they're in. So to me, I want you to pick this last spot. And it, it is between Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Owen Hart, Jim Neidhart, and Jeff Jarrett from 1994, the Teamsters, or Team Raw, Jericho, Owen, Strowman, Reigns, and Rollins from 2016. Um, it's literally, I'm totally happy with either of those being in. I think I know which one you're going to go for, and I really don't mind which one it is, to be honest. So you pick. Which is the last team in? I'm going to pick the Teamsters. Um, I thought you might. It's a team. The last one is a good collection of talent. It's a collection of talent that fits together on a particular team in 2016. But it's not a collection of baby faces. It's not a collection of heels. Um, it's not a team that stands the test of time when you look at the situation it's in. I don't remember what happened on that uh, night. I only know the team SmackDown beat them because I copy and pasted a bit off of uh, Wikipedia and put it on my screen in front of me so I had the teams. Um, I don't remember the angle. I don't remember what happened. Uh, it is a point in time. It does. It is a group that deserves to be there. It's five excellent talent: Strowman, uh, Strowman, Strowman, Jericho, Owens, Reigns, Rollins. Brilliant talent. And it's a better five than the five on the other team that you just said in terms of talent, by far actually. But the team that you just mentioned, four of them anyway: Sean, Owen, Anvil, and Jarrett absolutely in a kayfabe world you can imagine being friends in 1994 can't you you can imagine them being together backstage again totally kayfabe folks don't don't go oh the click didn't like the anvil I don't care about that I'm talking about in a kayfabe world you could see Double J and Sean and Owen those three in particular being right snidey little pricks not liking everybody and moaning about everybody and kicking up fuss and you know being the kids in school that never had a pen and were late and always had to get sent to the back and like that's those they're those snotty kids and they get away with stuff because their big tough mates Diesel and Anvil look after them that's that team <laughs> I like it it's, that's that group of horrible little kids at school that you yeah. never ever get your own way with but eventually, as they get a bit older, one of them goes, do you know what? I'm sick of you pricks. And that is essentially what Diesel did. And <laughs> That's exactly it. You know, it's something we can relate to. And you know, wrestling is a bit of that sometimes. It's The reasons we boo heels, are, there are reasons in our own life. We meet heels all the time. We don't at the moment because we're locked in our houses. But for the most part, we meet heels. We meet people at our work that get promoted in front of us. We meet people that play on the same football team as us that you know aren't very sporting we meet um, our brothers or sisters partners who we don't really like and we think isn't good enough for a member of our family we meet heels all the time and we want them to get their comeuppance we want to be better than them and that's part of what wrestling is about and that team is so identifiable as a team that you want to fall apart and add in the fact that it didn't just you know fit together as a team but there is an angle there and it's an angle that within three months, as I pointed out, benefit 
four, or at least three of the team. You know that Shawn Michaels, Diesel, and Jeff Jarrett were off to the races. They all had a career-defining 1995, and it would go on to define other things in their career. It's not the best year of their career of any of their careers, probably. Maybe Jarrett's, but it's a career-defining year, and they were on a springboard. Anvil fits the group. Owen fits the group. I think it's a very strong contender, actually, mate. I think I probably would have had it ahead of a couple of others. I think if you'd have given me the opportunity to uh, to nominate it against a couple of others, um, but I think I think it's a strong five. Uh, I think the Warriors team will win because I think that's the one that people go to as a as one that they think of immediately when they think about the Survivor Series, but. I think Punk, Hardy, Triple H and, and HBK is a hugely strong team. I think the team WWF is in there for the reason that we said. You know, it's a, it's a good-looking lineup. And like, I, I think the team that has Virgil in it will come last. But I think that's harsh on them because I don't think people will necessarily take into account the context. When I'm saying this, by the way, I sound like I'm being a bit patronising to people that are listening. It's worth pointing out that sometimes a lot of people vote on these polls because we know the demos and stuff. That, they've not necessarily listened to the podcast folks is that's what I'm getting at I'm not those of you that are listening and thinking I'm being very dismissive of you and your views that's not my intention but sometimes Paul and I put up a very strong um, argument and people listen to it and they tell us oh we listened I wasn't going to vote that until Paul said this and I changed my vote but other times it will get shared somewhere else and people won't listen to the podcast and they'll just vote for what they see in front of them and I think they'll see a team that's got Virgil in it and go I'm not voting for that team but uh, generally speaking it's a it's a it's a, a fun group of five. I agree. Right. Let's recap it. So, guys, remember, as always, once this podcast goes live, you can go to our website, hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote, uh, and you can make your mark on this poll. I think it's going to be the first one in a while. It's not a landslide for the winner. Um, just to recap exactly the composition of those teams we're voting on, we've got the, uh, the Warriors from 1990, which is the ultimate warrior, the Legion of Doom in the Texas Tornado. We've got the the team, I think 1991 was the first year they weren't named, and in fact this team isn't named, but um, we've got the British Bulldog, we've got Brett the Hitman Hart, we've got Team Captain Rowdy Roddy Piper, and we've got Virgil. Um, we're back to team names in 1994 with the Teamsters, made up of Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Owen Hart, Jimmy Underline Hart, and Jeff Jarrett. We've got Team WWF from 2001, which was The Rock, Chris Jericho, The Undertaker, Kane, and The Big Show. 2006 was Team DX, which is Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Matt and Jeff Hardy, and CM Punk, and that rounds out our five. Um, so you've got a hookedonwrestling.co.uk. I hope you're all familiar with that. That is a daily site for you to go to now. Um, hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the result of this in two weeks' time, Rob, aren't you? Yeah, very much so. I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a very difficult one to, to call. And, you know, in terms of, like I said, I think I know what will be top and bottom, but at the same time, there's been plenty of other times where I've sent a prediction uh, and I've been proved totally wrong because there's been a bit of a groundswell for something, often to a really good effect. Um, before we go, I do want to mention a few comments that we had on Twitter and Facebook because uh, people are good enough to, to send us their opinions, Paul, and it's, it would be rude of me. Uh, it would be rude, brood of Absolutely. me to uh, not at least go for a few of them. So I'll skim. I won't do as many as normal because a few of them are just suggestions of, of teams or whatever and uh, we've, we've covered all those teams uh, pretty much although um, Stu McTaggart suggests Hacksaw, Sergeant Slaughter, Texas Tornado and Tito Santana because the whole team survived in 1991 I don't think we went into detail on that one but 
Um, Francis Reyes says that Team WWF was an epic team going in. Over the years, it's felt more like brand versus brand, but he enjoyed the original team for WWF thing. Ricky Hill said I would put Hogan, Jake, and Demolition up against anyone, so he'll be a bit disappointed we'd not let them through. Uh, Chris Walters said also Team WWF had so much star power, zero weak links. Everyone was in their prime and over. So for me, that's the greatest team ever assembled for Survivor Series. He might have a good point. Um, Dan Greenwood uh, mentions that... uh, Team Smackdown of 05 was a good team, which he says was Batista, Orton, Lashley, JBL and Ray, uh, which is an interesting group of people. And he says, I would actually argue that Team Alliance was better than Team WWF. Not sure about that. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Daniel Stockwell mentioned Hogan, Warrior and Tito, because that was, a, do you remember that was a group that came together at the end of the night? Do you remember when there was that one year where the yes. winners were on one side and whatever? I don't think we can really include that because of, uh, because of the way that fell. Uh, Trev Moulton says Team WWF versus the Alliance was had me emotionally invested at the time as a teenager that was in uh, really did think it was a winner takes all, and uh, he goes on to start a bit of a chat about uh, what a, a possible WCW team could have been. Uh, and finally, uh, Kieran Gall says we should go back to do four by four matches or four versus four matches as they were better. But the yeah, best, yeah. but the best team was the Ultimate Warriors that you pictured above because Paul did a little graphic on the Facebook page best team was the Ultimate Warriors pictured above along with their opponents for that match which was the perfect team Mr. Perfect and Demolition so he also reflected something you said there about uh, enjoying both sides on that particular encounter and thank you to everyone for sending your comments Uh, we do look at them all sometimes it helps us form uh, some of our opinions even if we don't get to everything you all said Uh, thank you for being part of the debate and we'll do that again when we do our next topic uh, in a couple of weeks time Fantastic. Well, I think all that remains, Rob, and this is your job, as is tradition, to take us home. Yeah, you can go and vote for these at www.hookedonwrestling. Who says www. these days? What am I doing? I'm thinking this. In, I think it's Me. 2007. <laughs> you go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote. Uh, that will be live now. That poll for you to go and uh, cast your opinion, and um, we'll tell you the results when we are next with you on our next podcast, which won't be very far away at all. Until then, please check out everything on hookedonwrestling.co.uk, including the weekly uh, Sunday night quiz, which is the highlight of Paul and I's week when we get to it. Lots of other fantastic podcasts as well. Now they are genuinely too numerous for me to mention because there are so many of them, uh, but they are all uh, they're all quality and all looking at various different aspects of wrestling there's not just you know seven different groups of people talking about uh, what's happening on Raw this week or what's happening on Dynamite this week lots of eclectic stuff about British things old things uh, it's great fun uh, new contemporary all sorts of things in there uh, and all the stuff that's on the website so please do check all that out um, and we will be back with you very soon it just remains for me to say from Paul and from myself just remember it's wrestling enjoy it <laughs> <laughs>